You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For, for, all, things, for, for all things KC, for everything Chiefs, it's always, it's always game day in Kansas City. Now, here's your host, Kayla Kinnearum and Cody Tapp. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Happy Red Friday to you all. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Kayla Canaram. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Cody Tapp, and our producer, Nick Schwartz. Fellas, how are we doing on this Friday? Feeling good. I know we're not doing vibe check to start the show, but I don't know. I like a noon Sunday game against a nonsense opponent occasionally for the Chiefs. They get enough primetime games against big opponents, uh, you know. A uh, Sunday noon game against the Jags. That feels like uh, it's like watching uh, watching the Chiefs in your youth. This is back to first world problem. <laughs> this is the Chiefs have become so good. They are the team in the NFL that the league refuses to let them play these noon Sunday games. They're playing a Saturday game later this year. It's weird, but it's good. It's good. It's good that we get a normal week, Kaylin. It's good to be back for a Friday. Absolutely. It- Definitely reminds me of my youth. Like when my dad used to pull us out of church early so we didn't miss a noon kickoff. Those were the days. Mm. When will churches figure out? The NFL's king for all things. Can't be having church services that go till noon. No one's going to show up. You got to start earlier. That may switch be. Switch to Saturday. They should switch to Saturday, maybe. Hey, Cody, that may be one of the few traditions that has a deeper history than NFL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Guys, why have the Chiefs struggled at Arrowhead this year? Friendly reminder, we beat the Chargers by three at home, one by one against the Raiders, lost by four to the Bills, and one by three to the Titans. We have averaged 24 points at home. On the road, we've averaged 36 and a half. What is going on at Arrowhead? Honestly, I wish that this was a one-year thing, but Patrick Mahomes, like his record is always the same at Arrowhead. But he averages way less touchdowns and less yardage at home in his career with a very similar number of starts. So as much as I would like to just be like, well, it's this year, I think some of it is because they play down to their opponent a little. Like it or not. And I know that nobody ever likes to hear that because that means like you don't take them serious or whatever. But I think that they play down to their opponent a little bit. And realistically, the way that it is, is that they don't play their three worst games, I think, were against their three worst opponents at the time they played them. The Colts, which obviously they played terrible against. This last week against the Titans, because it was Malik Willis, not because it was just the Titans. And the Raiders. Those are their three worst games of the year. Two of those were at home. I think that, I don't know. I, you know, Mahomes once said that it was, he gets a little amped up for those games and plays poorly in the first half. But I think largely it's that they think that they've got those games more in hand. They're more comfortable at home. They like having their backs against the wall. I think it, it's pretty stark in comparison to how good they are on the road. And some of those are circumstantial because they played their worst game of the season against the Colts in week three on the road. Mm-hmm. That, Cody, I think speaks to what you were just talking about playing down to your opponents because in the three road games they've had, and you could, you could play this game every year, but just look at those three games. Week one, First game of the season, you're always going to be juiced for that. Mahomes throws for five touchdowns, 360 yards. Week four, it's the the Bucs. Not only were you coming off a loss, but it's the first game that you played against Tampa Bay after losing to them in the Super Bowl two years ago. 
And then you had the game against the Niners, again, coming off a loss to the Bills. So it was easy to get motivated for all of those games in a way that maybe you wouldn't for the Colts or maybe in a way that you wouldn't for a home game because you just know that the, the home crowd is going to lift you up. You feel like they're going to do a lot of the heavy lifting, whereas you have to sort of manufacture your own energy on the road. This all may be completely made up, but that's my half-baked theory because we are comparing the Chiefs, like the standard we hold them to is being like historically great when you just look at what Mahomes has done on the road in his career. I know, because, we, but he averages a half a touchdown more per game. It's wild. It's not like 2.1 touchdowns per game is bad, which is what he averages at home, but he averages like two and a half, two point six 2.6 on the road. Do we think this has to do with the fact that two of those road games were quote-unquote revenge games with the Bucks and 49ers? Maybe, but yeah. I mean, by the time they got to the Bucks, I mean, I, Mahomes did say when he got to the, when he, when he went to the stadium, he was like, yeah, I didn't think I'd care as much. And I did. So that one, maybe Kayla, you might be right. That one. Sure. Or revenge against the Niners. He beat them. Um, and that game was in Miami, not San Francisco. Right. So, I mean, I, I really yeah, feel like you just lost the week before to Buffalo, which is always going to light a fire under you. Look, here's here's the reality. I yeah, and that's like so. Someone could just be like, "Oh, they lost," but then the the reason why they lost is because they were you know like it's a double edged sword. It is very obvious to me that Patrick Mahomes plays better when his back is against the wall. Every piece of evidence suggests that that's true. Think about it. He wins fifty percent of the games, and when she trails by double digits, he has a he has the third highest sixty five percent, a seventy percent. When Patrick Mahomes is up against it, that's when he plays his best. That's when he does ridiculous things that nobody else can do. And I think when he gets to those like noon home games, right? Like the one against Jacksonville, I wouldn't bet on Kansas City covering this game. They'll win. They'll beat Jacksonville. We'll give our predictions later. They'll win that. But I don't think that they'll cover because of those reasons. It's easy to get complacent. And I think Andy, whether it happens before or during the game, finds those moments where, you know, we talked about with him before, like where he tries to just like grind out a win. I think it's more likely he's going to do those things in a home game in which they're a heavy favorite. This is just wild to me because one of the biggest advantages I feel like for this team is Arrowhead and the crowd there. And we always say that it's one of the the best environments in the NFL and it's one of the hardest places to play for visiting teams, but it also kind of feels like it's hard to play for the home team. They win. Like, so that's the one thing I'll say in Patrick Mahomes' career, his winning percentage is nearly identical home or road. It's just like how pretty the game is. So maybe we're splitting hairs and we shouldn't make a big deal about it because the difference is the same, right? They have one road loss this year. They have one home loss this year. Over the course of his career, it's about the same. But it's, I don't know, man, it's weird. It's weird that they play uglier football when they're at home. It seems like when you have all the advantageous nature of you're here to be that. I blame it on the weather, right? Like, oh, Kansas City, December, that's got to be factoring in. No, he goes back to uh, road Mahomes when they play road play, when they play playoff games, which are all at home, all in terrible weather, right? Because they're all January or February, you know, like it's all the same time. He's, he's never played a road playoff game. So I think it's boredom. I think it's pure boredom. He doesn't take you serious, not on purpose, but because it's human nature. We all do the same thing. No matter what it is, Nick and I are going to play poker against each other, right? If there's a guy at the table that you don't, that you're like, this guy, he's like, hey, I'm sorry. Um, can four cards be a straight? You're like, okay, I don't think this guy's serious. 
And then you get in a hand against them and you start making calls you shouldn't, right? It's always the same thing. If you in that moment, even human nature, if you're not thinking about it, you get more loose with how you play. I think part of it too is just like the amount of pressure that teams put on themselves for home games. Whenever you think about what the biggest game of the year is, it's never going on the road. The biggest game of the year is when an impressive opponent comes into your stadium, which is basically every single time the Chiefs on the road. So you look at the home games, you've played two divisional opponents and then the Bills who have been like your biggest rival in the AFC. There's added pressure on top of were all of those games prime time? I know the Chargers and the the Bills were. Were the other two? Um, was the Raiders game prime time? Uh, I feel like it was. Yeah, it was. Monday Night Football, yeah. So it's like you have all of these added elements that beyond just being a home game, put more pressure on you as a team and for Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback to perform. And I'm not saying that brings the worst out of them. It's just these guys are creatures of habit. And when you add all of these extra circumstances, I, th- I think that that can sometimes throw you for a bit of a loop. Sucks being so good that all of our games are primetime games. That's right. <laughs> terrible, terrible lives. We should have a few losing seasons so we can get back to like seven or eight noon games a year. Take the pressure off. I don't want that. No, I don't. No one wants that. We're happy where we're at. All right. Um, moving on. We will we see you guys the running game get back on track versus Jacksonville. We discussed this a little bit um, at the beginning of the week. This week, the enemy on the run game said we've got to run it. We have to invest in it. We can't just run it a few times and expect success. He has to do a better job and the staff has to do a better job. Cody, what's the answer? Okay, so um, the enemy's wrong or lying. I don't really care which. Um, (laughs) Simply running the ball more is not the solution to the run game. And you know how I know that? Because they don't do it. You know, uh, it's been a long, it's probably been a phrase for a very long time for a reason. Actions speak louder than words. It's cool to say we, we should hand it off more. You never do. So do you really actually want to hand it off more? No, you don't. You want to pass because you have Patrick Mahomes. The solution is not go to two backs instead of three, which is another theory being floated out. Hey, give Pacheco or give Clyde a full game. Give them a chance. Let them get comfortable. Whatever it is. That's not the solution either. The simple solution is to have the offensive line block better in those situations and that you're just simply not a good running team and accept that. Accept the flaws about yourself. Kayla, to throw back to the first step, you're like, you're not an accountant or you're not good with numbers. You don't try to be a mathematician. The Chiefs shouldn't try to run the ball more. They should try to be effective and good with their run scheme in the plays that they are going to run it. I'm not saying never run, but they're also just not going to be good at it. That's reality. And that's disappointing. It is disappointing <laughs> that, and I get it, like it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. Well, they're so good at this one thing. Aren't you being like a little demanding to demand that they're all so good at running the ball. Well, if you told me that Andy Reid is like the most talented play caller, one of the top five most innovative offensive minds of all time, I would just assume that they would be able to run the ball with some level of competency, and they just haven't been able to. You look at Clyde's numbers the last month, the last four games, 28 rushes combined for 85 yards. And after a really solid first month, you're now looking at his season-long totals, his averages. He's the same guy he's ever been. He's actually getting less touches. He's less involved in the offense than he's ever been. Just about eight, eight and a half carries per game this year, which is down 
from 12 carries per game a season ago, albeit he only played in 10 games. That's the first part of this equation, which is that early in the season when he was looking fresh and being very involved and having some explosive plays, we thought, okay, maybe he's healthy for the first time. And maybe we're going to start to see the reason why they drafted him in the first round. Now, halfway through the year, it's becoming pretty clear to me that he's kind of who we thought he was, right? To steal a line from Dennis Green. He's, he's the guy that you saw the last two years. And maybe injuries is a part of that. But if it is, then I'm just to assume that this is who he's going to be forever. And if that's the case, then you're talking about Jarek McKinnon, another guy who's been injury plagued. He hasn't been able to ever really take on the full workload of a season. He's never going to be your primary back anyway. And Isaiah Pacheco, who's a seventh round rookie. So you're relying upon guys to get your ground game in the right direction who at no point in their careers have ever been those dudes. So I'm kind of with you. I wish I had a better answer as to why it's not working, but it is it is a little frustrating just knowing that your quarterback, who is so otherworldly great, you are now asking him to do another thing, which is, hey, do, do it all because you're not ever going to have a ground game to rely upon to take a little bit of pressure off you. To me, it's just like, you know something's broken when you keep trying to look for the magical fix. You're like, you know what's going to fix it? Letting Pacheco run first. You're like, no, nah, I didn't solve it. You know what's going to fix it? We'll just use two backs and not three. That's not going to fix it. Like, or, we're, or be in me today. We're just going to hand off the ball, but more. That's not going to fix it. That's not the, like, imagine if, by the way, it's only the running game you do that in. So nobody buys it. Nobody ever says like when a quarterback is struggling, right? Let's uh, let's say Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker. Doesn't matter. They never (laughs) say, you know, what we're going to do, you know, we're going to fix, you know, we're going to fix the passing game with PJ Walker. We're just going to have him throw more. No one says that. That's it's it's actually less. Have him throw less, less complicated. Dumb it down. Make it simple. You know why? You know why, Cody? Because there's only so much that can go wrong when you run the ball. Worst case scenario, you're probably going to run into your lineman and get tackled behind the line of scrimmage for a one yard loss. Worst case scenario for a quarterback is you're throwing it to the other team. So that's why you have to protect them in ways that you don't have to with a run game. With a run game, you protect them by just not using them. Yes. And that again, that's the solution. Not running more. Running more is not going to make the running game better. Actually, running less might, because in a weird way, coming off a 68 game performance, if they were to throw it another 68 times, Nick, then no one's going to think they're going to run. It actually might make it easier to run the game after this one, because at that point, the Chiefs have fully abandoned it and given up on it, and they're not going to guard or pretend to play against it. Like right now, teams still probably think you are going to run a little bit, and they're not the worst rushing yards per attempt team in the NFL. They're somewhere near the middle of the pack. They can just do it in spurts. And when you have Mahomes, look, if you had another quarterback, this might suck worse. But you have Patrick Mahomes. So it's it's not all that bad. You can't run it. You'll find some way to survive, even given that, I guess, I don't know, a little bit of notion. By the way, training for a guy, right? The the other one, Nick, the other magic bullet was uh, bring up Ronald Jones. Like, okay, that's when I know you're out of answers. You're just taking shots. I think that is when you know it's over. The second you're looking for all of these unsubstantiated, unwarranted fixes to the running game. We'll bring up this, the fourth guy. I know he couldn't even crack your top three before the season, and we're learning that those top three aren't very good. But the fourth guy might be good, right? Hey, I know your ground game hasn't worked in small sample size. 
How about a really big sample size? Let's give them the ball 20 times. Maybe that'll fix it. Maybe they just need a few more reps to knock the rust off. If you're going through those scenarios, you know it's a lost cause. If we see the running game pick up, who do you guys have your money on as to who will do a better job? Pacheco. Uh, Yeah, probably. (laughs) Jarek has his role. We're firm there. There's no mystery about what he does. So I guess Pacheco. It's Jarek has his role. We know what he does. We know Clyde's just never going to be that guy. So the only answer left is Pacheco. I'm not losing all hope in Clyde. What gives you what? What? What's the sliver of optimism also, that you're holding on to with him? Before you answer, do give up. <laughs> Worst therapist ever. <laughs> <laughs> because we see these little, we see these little bouts that he has where you know, if he can get outside and take off, he can be gone. But I just the running going. Up the middle makes no sense to me with him. He is too small. Stop doing it, please. Yeah, he's never going to be that north-south runner. Oh, and he's also not fast enough to get to the outside. Again, back to give up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll we'll agree to disagree with him. Fellas, it is report card time, as we have through the midseason. We've done this every year this podcast has been in existence. I remember doing report cards all the time, Kayla. (laughs) I just meant like, you know, in school, you get your your mid semester report card. Actually, was it quarterly? Once a semester? I don't remember. It's been a while since I've been in school. How My often parents, do report cards come out? Um, I don't know. I mean, I have kids, so I guess they should come out. I think we've gotten one so far. So it's probably like twice a semester, Kayla. I've gotten one for the older daughter. So that feels that feels right. Cody, you definitely had the talks too much, didn't you? Oh, probably. Actually, I was kind of I was a little quieter as a kid. Shockingly mm. enough, that would uh, look at you now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, eventually I decided I, I do want attention. Please give it to me. Nick, what was the lowest grade you ever got? <sighs> How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> college was a rough six years for me. Kayla, <laughs> I didn't get my first B until I was a junior in high school. Of course. Uh, I actually... Grades were, you know, whatever. I don't remember them that specifically. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a good sign. (laughs) They gave me a diploma, okay? When I walked out of Mizzou, they handed me one. So I think we're good. Um, All right, we're going to start with Patrick Mahomes. Nick, what are you going to give Patty? You have to give him an A+. I mean, I, I get it. Like, it's really easy to pander to Mahomes and say that he's this perfect quarterback who can do no wrong, and he makes these incredible plays that nobody else makes every single week. but uh, he's a perfect quarterback who can do no wrong and makes incredible plays that nobody else makes each week. That's not a, It's like, not only did he get the A plus, she put all the stickers on it to really embarrass the other kids. <laughs> like, look what you could be. You so, could be like him. So I would, t- I would say this. Um, if you would push back on that, if, if there's part of you that's saying, well, I don't know if I'd give him an A plus, then my rebuttal would be what, what would you, what has he not done that you would want him to do? What? through eight weeks of this season, through eight games, could you point to and say he could be better in that regard? Like you can look at the counting stats and say, well, he's got six interceptions. Okay, let's go back and dissect each of those, right? You go back to the the most recent one. You had a bobbled catch by Travis Kelsey against the Niners. It was Sky Moore who didn't run the right route. 
I don't care about the counting stats. Every single week he makes these heroic MVP-like plays. It is an A-plus from Patrick Mahomes again. He lost a arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL who is on pace for 2,000 yards this season. And all he is getting in return for that is leading the NFL in touchdown passes, leading the NFL in yardage. He's fourth in completion percentage. He's middle of the road in interceptions. He's not near the top. Josh Allen's got two more than him. The leader is at nine. He's right near everyone else at that number. And he's doing it without what is the top weapon in the NFL for an underperforming offensive line. So, no, I'm feeling pretty good. A plus. We can move on to the next one, I think. Also A plus, as Cody mentioned, just to reiterate, leads the league yards per game. Touchdowns at 21 was our team's leading rusher against the Titans. Six carries, 63 yards, a two point conversion. Why is he not in the MVP conversation again? Oh, he is. He's currently now. He is the okay, heading thank you. favorite now. He was third or fourth. My gosh. What does this week? guy well, got to do? Here is the difference. And here's the reason why you asked that question, Kayla, is because Vegas views him as a favorite. But I think like the by and large national NFL media talking heads, they don't. And it's not because they don't believe he is. It's because people get tired of talking about the same things year after year after year. Yeah. It's not fun to just talk about Patrick Mahomes every single year for four years because it feels like you're just rehashing the same conversation. So people say, what about Josh Allen? What about Jalen Hurts? What about Tua? But Vegas knows, and they've got him back atop the list. As he should be. Next up, Brett Veach. Cody, what are you giving Brett? Uh, a. A. Not A+. plus. Look, I mean, there's still some things that we could probably be finicky about because... Karloftis and McDuffie's not his fault. He hadn't been on the field, but it's because of injury. But Karloftis and Sky Moore's first two of his first three picks are okay, right? Sky Moore has barely been involved. Karloftis uh, has been involved less lately. So it's like you can't go full A. But he found two starting corners in the fourth and the seventh round. The Juju Smith Schuster contract, gangbusters. The Carlos Dunlap one is working. He got contract extensions worked out. He's given himself enough money. That if he wants to go sign Odell, he can. So it's a solid A. There's no question about it being a good grade. I'm just not going to give him the Patrick Mahomes A+. That's all. So I'm going to give Brett Veach a B, which in my mind means you've done a good job, but there's room for improvement. There are two ways to sort of define Brett Veach's offseason, both in the short term and long term. And in the short term, I feel like I would still rather have Tyree kill with the Kansas city chiefs than have what ended up being George Karloftis and Kadarius Tony, right? You don't make that move unless you have the extra draft assets, things like that. And the reason why is because even though the chiefs offense is the best, I feel like that is the superpower of Patrick Mahomes to where he's always going to find the baseline. Even if the circumstances don't allow it, he's so freaking good. Like we saw against the Titans where the offense did not work against the Titans, but he did. Right, Guys weren't getting open downfield. He wasn't getting good blocking in the first half. The running game wasn't there. But he's like, I'm me, so I'm going to go do what I need to do to win us this game. But he did that by himself, and I isolate that a little bit. When the Chiefs offense does stagnate, every single time, and I feel like there's a lot of Chiefs fans who will do the same thing, is I just keep thinking about Tyreek Hill. I'm separate from the production that he's having in Miami, which has been incredible, but when the offense does stall... I feel like it is because you don't have that legit separation. When you've got guys like MVS who are out there for 71 snaps and Mahomes can't even look his way, 
because he gets no separation. Like that to me is a bit of an issue. So I think long term, we'll probably end up viewing that more favorably than I do right now. Because long term, when Tyreek Hill is 31, 32 years old and is making $30 million a year, the Dolphins may not love where they're at as a franchise or as an organization. But in the short term, knowing that that cap hits like $6 million, I still wish Tyreek Hill was in Kansas City. And maybe from the from the data that we're looking at and the, the record and the stats, it's fine. But moving towards the Super Bowl, I kind of wonder about that. So it's not just the Tyreek. I still think I'm waiting to see long-term what these, this rookie class does. I think it's question marks kind of across the board right now, which is fine. You're getting value out of those later round picks. but. It's a B. I'm not failing him. I'm not giving him a C. I'm just saying you've done a good job, but I still need to see more from you. Still a little bitter Betty over there. Yes. yes. <laughs> have, have we talked about Tyreek in every podcast? <laughs> I mean, it is kind of a big deal. He's on pace for 2,000 yards. <laughs> He's very good. Let me ask you guys this. Honest question. Am I being, am I being too nitpicky saying that I still wish Tyreek were in this offense? Because I get it. Like all the stats indicate that they're the number one or number two offense in the NFL. So is it is it unfair of me to say, but what about Tyreek still at this point? I mean, it's hard to be like, what did they be without Tyreek? Because they're great now. And Tyreek was in this offense and we knew where they were, Nick. They're one of the best offenses in the NFL, too. He didn't like become a different player. And if he were here, he'd be a 2000 yard receiver. That's not how they use their receivers. That's the one thing I keep in mind is whatever version of Tyreek Hill that is in Miami existed in Kansas City. They just used him different. He didn't get 200 targets here like he's getting in Miami. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of less about the production he's having in Miami and more about the the instances when the offense doesn't look great. Yeah, but those but in fairness, those existed with Tyreek Hill in Kansas City, too. They run into those things no matter who their offensive skill position players are. I miss the razzle dazzle of it all. But the minute you ditch this team, this offense for more money, you've lost me. It's the crazy hot scale, man. I mean, the relationship might be a lot more fun, but it's chaotic. Like it was more chaotic. It was way more fun. But this is like this feels like the long term relationship. Like, oh, it's fine. It's very we're very good. Everything. So this is great. the offense you would take home to mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> All comes back to relationships. Um, for what it's worth, I give Brett an A as well, Cody. Um, let's move on to Steve Spagnola. What are we giving Spags? I uh, so he. I, you know what? B plus. I can't believe I'm giving good grades across the board, I guess. <laughs> he was given a secondary who got rid of their single biggest leader, Tyron Matthew. Um, got rid of all of their veteran corners, except for Legereus Sneed. Was given patchwork defensive line, and they're pretty good. So, I mean, they could be better defensively. It's not like he gets an A because if they... We're making waves in the pass rush department, but the blitzes are working. Considering the pieces he was given, I think he's made more out of this defense and what he's been given than what he did last year. So to me, that is deserving of a B plus. I agree. I think this is better than what you had last year. I mean, you're talking about at this point in the season, you have had two rookie cornerbacks, one a fourth rounder, one a seventh rounder, who have been your number two and number three corners, your number two and your number four corners, you're starting a rookie. I mean, George Karloftis is not just in the rotation. Like he is playing starter snaps. Leo Chanel is firmly in that linebacker mix, especially with uh, the Willie Gay Jr. suspension earlier. So he's doing more with less than this year than I think 
he's done at any point. Because, yeah, we can look at the total of the points allowed. They're 20th, but that's where they've basically been every year under Spags. So if I'm grading on a curve and just grading him based off of him, I'm like, you're getting similar production to what you've normally had, despite the fact that you're working with less or more inexperienced talent than you've ever had. And it's easy to do this too, fresh off of the Tennessee game where your defense pitched a perfect game, a perfect game in the second half and overtime, which you don't see anywhere against any team. I don't care what you think about the Titans offense. Usually you can get a couple first downs. Usually you can get more than 20 yards of offense in two and a half quarters. So I think I'm giving an A minus to Spags. I think this has been uh, a fantastic job early this season, and I can't imagine it's not going to get better the second half. I didn't know we were grading with curves. (laughs) Always good. Always good for students. I loved that. Yeah. Um, For me, he's teetering. Yeah. A minus B plus, especially with what we saw last year versus this year. They've saved us so many times this season. It feels like, um, I'll give him an A minus, A minus for Spags. Let's move on to the rookie class. Nick, what are you giving them? Hmm. So that means I have to take it for its totality. I can't just cherry pick the guys that I really like. Oh Correct. yes, yes. Rookie class as a whole. Okay. So the rookie class as a whole, I am going to give a C plus, a C plus, and the plus. Is largely attributed to the two cornerbacks that I just mentioned, Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams. Hmm. And I guess George Karloftis to an extent, because at least he's not a liability. When you went in with nine, 10 draft picks, you, you came away with nine players on the roster. I think you do expect to see production, even though there's like the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And the angel's like, hey, they're rookies. Give them time. And the devil's like, no, this is the bed you made. These guys need to be good right away. You're competing for a Super Bowl. That's kind of where I find this balancing act. But I think it's been good. You haven't had that one rookie that's like, boom, this guy's going to be a stud. That's going to be a pillar of your organization for the next eight years, which maybe that's unfair. But when you draft all of those rookies and you have two guys in the first round and four guys in the first two rounds, you do expect to, I think, get more production than you've got so far. So it's not an outright failure, but... I think it's been pretty milk toast so far this year. Yeah, it's a C. It's average. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it. And like you've pointed out, I mean, they'd come home and get the diploma and nobody would try to fail them for what they've done by any means. I would say the one thing that stands out, the 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 reason why you wouldn't be harder on it is they're getting production from every single level of it. To get a running back that you were at any point starting in Pacheco, to get two cornerbacks, that you've started during it. The only guy who has not contributed in any way is Darian Kennard. Even Nazee Johnson, the third of three seventh round picks, has been active on a game day and played special teams for this team. Now, the thing I would say is there are a lot of just roster fillers. Like, I hope that Brian Cook and Leo Chanel aren't that eventually, but they're just roster fill guys right now. Sky Moore has been a roster fill guy to this point. The only two guys right now that you feel like have star potential are Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis. We haven't seen nearly enough of McDuffie, and we haven't seen nearly enough of Karloftis lately um, in that future star or, you know, at least Pro Bowl caliber kind of player. So it's very much an incomplete grade. It feels like 
I want a lot more evidence. But as it sits right now, a C is fine. Lucky for this rookie class, they still have half a semester to raise that grade. Yeah. I also agree. C, average. We'll look for some improvement. We we had to do that because we were being very easy graders. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. If McCole Hardman can't play on Sunday, which receiver will benefit the most? As we know, he's dealing with some abdominal soreness. He's being evaluated. Andy said, we're going to see where he is. We don't have an absolute on it. Still doing some tests. Cody. Kadarius Tony. I mean, I Ooh. come on. That's who it benefits. Sky Moore could have gotten the ball in the lap. They threw it again. I, I know I brought up this dad. They threw it 68 times. Sky Moore had zero catches. You can't you can't preach game plan. Eleven different Kansas City Chiefs caught a pass, and Sky Moore wasn't one of them. They threw it almost 70 times. To me, Tony just more fits it. One, they already switched to McCall in the punt return game, which I thought looked good which means I think they'll go to Tony because Dave Tobe was kind of gushing about him a little bit uh, in his media availability this week. So it feels like Tony's the punt returner. So automatically he's involved more. And I think that they'll use Tony more in the McColl role. I think in the long term, their goal for Sky is to be more of that, hey, he's a good complimentary number two. The way they used to use Demarcus Robinson, right? He runs routes, he runs traditional routes, and they use it. Because they don't seem to be using him in the gimmicky way that they already seem like they're looking for chances with Tony and his speed. So to me, if McColl's gone, we might get a good firm look at Tony way more than we will Sky. Not that they won't both see a little increased in time, but I think it's more of a Tony game than Sky more. Quick follow-up. If Sky catches that deep ball last weekend, does that change your answer? It might have. I mean, they threw to him deep twice, but he did. (laughs) Like sometimes those feel like they're really trying to complete it, but at least one of those kind of felt like a, I'm going to throw it down here and see what happens. But there was a little bit of pressure. I don't know if that's where he wanted to go first because there were two other looks. Uh, One of the guys who uh, sidelines, Josh Klinger, works at our station 610. He said there were two other times that the very first look was Tony. Mm. Like that was supposed to be read one. I don't feel like they do that yet with Sky Moore. So to me, even if he's throwing it deep, it doesn't necessarily do it. If you complete it, sure. But because we're eight games in, he's got 100 yards. It's hard for me to be like, you got 12 yards a game. I mean, catch more than that. And that deep ball goes and we might be talking different. Let me ask you something before I give my answer, Cody. What is your envision or what was your envision long term for what Sky Moore could be in this offense? I'm curious. Honestly, because I feel like we haven't talked about it much since the beginning of the year. No, originally, I, I guess I kind of thought he they were thinking of him as the McColl replacement, that he could be that. But I always thought if you're drafting a guy in the second round, you don't wish for him to be McColl Hardman. You hoped McColl Hardman would be better than McColl Hardman. You envisioned him being your number two wide receiver. And I think that, you know, the guy who runs a little bit of every route but can line up in the slot or outside and you can do some creative things with, but he's never really kind of turned into that. So my answer is Sky. And it's it's less about him and more about just like where this team is at with their wide receiver room right now. Regardless of what you think about Kadarius Tononi can be long-term with this team, he was sixth in snaps from the wide receiver position against Tennessee, he played nine snaps, nine snaps. I mean, that's compared to 26 for Sky Moore and 26 for Justin Watson as well. So even like McCole Hardman, he's the third wide receiver on this team because of all the two back sets that the Chiefs will throw at you, the two tight end sets they'll throw at you. He's playing 50% of snaps, 60% of snaps. So whoever does benefit is not all of a sudden going to see 
this massive workload on their plate if McColl can't go. So I think that the right answer is probably the boring one, which it probably gives a little bit to everybody. But in terms of if you're just asking me, like, who's going to see maybe more balls thrown their way, it has to be Sky Moore. If it's Kadarius Tony, then we have a big conversation next week about, oh, Sky Moore is last on this team's depth chart. And I just below Justin Watson even somehow. And I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just don't. It's less about like me not believing in Tony and more about I, I still believe like uh, two months is not enough for the Chiefs to say, hey, this kid's just not going to be ready to contribute to us right away. I, I don't think you go into a season with that sort of mindset of he better figure it out in two months. Otherwise, we're not going to use him. Hey, like, any chance you think it's Justin Watson? <laughs> it's not crazy. I, I'll go Justin Watson for sure. He had that great catch last weekend. I think he dropped one in the end zone or something, but you know uh, he doesn't have that much yardage. He has the same amount of yards as Sky more, but it kind of seems like Pat likes him. I don't know what it is like a pet project. He feels like, like Scotty Miller. Yeah, he feels like someone you can rely on. Like he's going to be downfield. He's going to hopefully, you know, catch the pass. He just seems reliable to me. I don't know. I, I'll I, go. Yeah, I'll go Watson. Well, I think we have a tendency to be like, okay, who fills the the McCole Hardman role, right? Who can catch balls at the line of scrimmage, screen passes, make guys miss, cut up field, quick burst, acceleration, all that stuff. The issue with that with Andy Reid is that they're not just going to roll out the same playbook week to week, regardless of who their personnel is. A lot of teams will do that, right? They don't have multiple variations. They're not, they don't have the, the, the multitudes that the Chiefs do. The Chiefs will just say, okay, no, McCole Hardman, we're going to change up our our playbook and our play calling to reflect the guys who we do have available. So I don't think they just look at it and say, we need somebody who can do his role. We'll just roll out something else instead. This is kind of unrelated, but did you guys see this week where Juju said he would like to be here long-term? Wasn't that sweet? I mean, I I hope he means it, but you know, this is a, you said it always comes back to relationship. It's nice if somebody says they want to get engaged, but are they getting the ring or like what's going on? (laughs) I mean, it's cool to say I'd like to be engaged one day, but are we doing this thing or, or, or not? So you want to be here? Cool. Here's an extension. Please sign it. All right. Shall we do our game predictions? Is it time? I think time. so. All right. Who is going to kick off game predictions first? Uh, I'll, I'll start this week. I told you I don't feel because of the way that they play at home. I don't feel confident enough to let him cover the 10 points, but it's still the Chiefs and they still score a lot of points. So I still think they'll win this game. I just don't think they're covering the nine and a half. They'll just barely not do it. I like the Chiefs 31 to 24. I think that seven might come late. I don't think it's like a one possession game the entire time because they are better, but you know, they've had trouble stopping the run. Travis Etienne is very good and having five consecutive very good games. Trevor Lawrence can still make throws that only a few quarterbacks can, which can get you in trouble in any given game. They're a little bit better than their three and six record, but they're still kind of a mess. And if you're still kind of a mess, you can't come into Kansas City and beat them. So 31-24 Chiefs. Seeing as how this game is at home... I feel like I've I've been snake bitten. I feel like I am just going to expect the Chiefs to be in another tight game. And I have been done. Nobody's done worse than me on these game predictions this year. <laughs> I, I think I have actually. My optimism. Thought, well, yeah, but then every <laughs> once in a while you get the Niners game. You know, you get the the Cardinals game where they do just beat the brakes off a team or a really impressive win against Tampa Bay. Every time I expect it to be close, it's the opposite, vice versa. So um 
Let's go with some reverse karma. I am going to take the Chiefs to win in a nail biter. 24 to 20. The Jaguars play a lot no. of games. Yeah, this game's at home. The Chiefs always play uh, tight games at home, so nothing could ever go wrong, right? If I just speak very sarcastically, maybe... You'll it, be wrong again, though, when 40 to 10. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. So I'm going to say that the ground game doesn't get going. Uh, the offense stagnates a little bit. Doug Peterson, right? Who knows Andy's offense better than old Dougie Fresh? So oh, yeah. maybe he's got a few tricks up his sleeve. And uh, Trevor Lawrence plays out of his mind. So I'll say 24 to 20 chiefs win a close one. I cannot handle another nail biter. We're done with those. <laughs> if it is a nail biter though, at least it would be a noon nail biter. It's not like you waited all day for this. Yeah. Still True. get some sleep, go to bed in plenty of time. And be yeah, fine. Exactly. Get my shake shack. Well, I am going in the complete opposite direction. I think this is the week that we break 30 points at home. So I'm going Chiefs 34, Jags 17. I think Arrowhead's going to come through and just completely shut them down. They've had 17 in their uh, loss to the Broncos. And I think they're lost to the Giants. Yes. Um, I'm just being super optimistic in this one. But guys, do we think that Andy, because he's so, of course, every time in his press conference, he compliments the other team, says what a great team they are, even if they're not. Um, but this one's personal to him because of Doug Peterson, because of Mike Caldwell, his ex-player, ex-coach, because of Mike McCoy and the Utah connection. Do we think he goes a little like lighter on this? You want to win the game, obviously, but Andy is a does man. that play a role at all? I don't know, man. Andy loves routine, which means to me, he just wakes up on Monday morning, cracks his knuckles, pulls open to be like, all right, Jags. What do they do? And then just goes to it point by point until he gets his game plan together. And then like Wednesday, when someone's like, hey, you're playing Doug Peterson's like, oh, yeah. OK, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen him react over to it. So it's hard to say. I feel like Andy is so like part of what makes Andy so good is he is study. He's doing a lot of self-scouting, like so deep into what the chiefs are doing well or what they're not doing well and how to fix that or how to use their strengths against another team that I don't know. I've never really thought of Andy as a guy that exploits other teams weaknesses as much as he's a guy who just knows how to leverage his team's strengths against his opponents. But is anyway, the, the one guy we didn't talk about entire in this podcast Anyone still think Trevor Lawrence could be a superstar quarterback? I was just going to say something about that. Like, can he can he still be a superstar quarterback? Like, you know, he's the next he's the highest guy since Andrew Luck because the talent is absolutely like some of the throws he makes are bonkers, but he makes some like his decision making is not great. Hmm. I think I think he can be a very good quarterback. I think I'm out of the superstar game for now. I think it was who one of you two said how it was like a cute story in the beginning. Um, but I don't know. Like, he seems like a nice kid, but okay, you're, you're gonna have to show me more. It's over. If that's what we're doing now, it's like <laughs> he's got a great personality. Also, is it is it weird? Really quick side tangent. Uh, it was weird last week to see Pat go up to Malik and just kind of like now he's kind of the veteran, patting the young rookie on the back. Whereas that's been Pat the last few years, so that was weird to see that role change where now he's the seasoned vet giving advice to the young rookie. Yeah. Listen, I 
I think that is weird. They're sort of changing of the guard. And now all of these kids are going to be held to these incredibly lofty standards. Like you see guys coming out of high school. Or, what about Zach Wilson coming out of college? They're like, you know what? He's got some of that Mahomes in him. Like, really? I've seen two years of Zach Wilson. I haven't seen much Mahomes out there in New York. With Trevor Lawrence, I don't get it. I don't get it. He has every physical tool that you could possibly want in a quarterback. And going back, you know, I'm, I'm a big college football junkie. And in the way that people talked about him as a freshman was that, you know, this kid is a transcendent talent at quarterback. The problem is you never get exposed when you're playing for Clemson or Ohio State or Alabama because mm-hmm. you're going to NFL wide receivers who aren't playing against NFL cornerbacks. You have NFL offensive linemen who aren't going up against NFL pass rushers. You are set up to succeed. So like perfection is what you should obtain at programs like that. And then you get to the league and all of a sudden the processing that was lightning fast in college doesn't work that way in the NFL. And I think for a lot of guys, it's a major, major adjustment where you almost have to wipe the slate clean with how you think about going through the the progressions of an NFL offense. And you're seeing that with him. Like when he, when he rips a ball to the back of the end zone and you had to put it in just the right amount of touch on it, just to get it there, you can see why he was drafted first overall and why everybody's been thinking about having this kid as their franchise quarterback since he was 18. But some of the other stuff, man, it just is not happening for him. Because, and the one thing I'll say is, he's still in a new system. He's got a not very good offensive line and his offensive weapons are pretty mad. So I'll give him some credit there, but I'm with you, Nick. It's like for a guy who literally is the right height, build, arm strength, throw accuracy, footwork, you're like, you're, you're supposed to be good at, like great at this. And it just feels like it's taken him a while. I just already see it in my head that that pat on the back after the game from Mahomes. Thanks for trying. Great work. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Keep it up. Keep it up, bud. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, that is Nick Schwartz. He is Cody Tapp. I'm Kayla Canaram, and we will be back with you all on Monday for live game reaction and more. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you.